Well, today we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 to 26, and a longing for heaven. And uh, we, we have been looking, Paul has many troubles on the outside of being in prison, uh, and then a number of other things going on where people are targeting him, uh, saying things about him, uh, accusing him of things to hurt him, just to hurt him in the gospel of grace. And, and Paul has no animosity. He just says, I'm glad that Christ is being preached. <laughs> These guys, what they're doing, you know what? They're going to have to stand before the Lord. But as for me, they are teaching the truth about Christ. Even though they have a bone to pick about me and, and some of the things in their sermon are targeting to try to hurt me, that's, uh, that's between them and the Lord. I, if that's the, what they got to do to preach Christ, then I just, I'm thankful Christ is preached. And last week, we looked at the verse 19 to 21, which I'd like to read again. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ. That's a great for us as well. We need a great outpouring of God's Spirit in our community, Rossmore community here, and, and then our Samaria and Judea to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, give us a supply of your Spirit. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be ashamed but with all boldness, as always. So now also Christ be magnified in my body. Been meditating on that this week. Christ would just be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. And this is where we ended the most powerful verse, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pretty simple formula, isn't it? And he goes on to say, if he lives on, it'll be Christ. He's going to break that down a little bit. What's it mean to live is Christ. He tells us in verse 22 to 26, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet I, will, I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Amen which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident, yes, of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So in verse 22, to live is Christ. What's that mean? To live on in the flesh is Christ. What's that mean, to live is Christ? A fruit from my labor. To continue to have while he's in this flesh a, a fruit in his life. His, his life would be incredibly fruitful life if he remains on earth. Whether I live, whether I die, either way, it's a winning proposition. Paul says, if I continue living, that even, even staying in prison, my life is going to be bearing fruit. I know I'm going to be a fruitful person. Wow. Paul had really come to a place in his pilgrimage where he has learned to beat his body into subjection. He is focused on one thing, on living for Christ. And he said, all of the snares, all of the difficulties this life has to bring, all the attacks of the enemy and of man that come, I am confident every day, 365 and a quarter days a year, I will be fruitful. Wow. Can you say that about yourself? Some people and Christians even, are, are getting sort of sarcastic in these last days because they're frustrated with not really living the Christian life. And people say, well, for me to live is just to keep on stumbling and struggling and sinning. For me to continue on in this flesh means I'm going to keep griping about all the pains in my body, my arthritis and my hip, 
and my eyesight and my hearing and my back. For me to live is to continue on complaining about the disappointment and hurts from people. I hate people. They're so mean. They're so hurtful. I'm so disappointed that so-and-so didn't call or didn't write or didn't do this. or did. For me to live is just to continue to be more and more frustrated with people and disappointed in my family and friends. Does that sound more like your life? For me to live the next 365 years, or next 300, <laughs> for me to live in the next 365 days means I'll complain, all of them either about my hip or about my kids or my parents or my siblings. Boy, I hope that's not us. What is it for you to be able, like Paul, to be able to say, as long as I'm on this earth, I will be bearing fruit and more fruit? I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you really know the formula. I, I love Brian Brodison's radio station title, Back to Basics, right? It's it just, you keep doing the basics. It, it, the people that make it to the Olympic as runners, they just stay with the basics. They're not doing something that other people aren't doing. If you're a golfer, you stay with the basics. If you're a weightlifter, those guys that are huge and big, they're not doing some special thing that nobody else is doing. They're just consistently doing it. And the same with being a Christian. There's not some mystery formula that the only the top 10% that make it to the Grand Poobah arena of the Christian pyramid, they get the secrets on really how to be fruitful. No. We know. Psalms 1 says, you meditate in God's word day and night and you prosper in all that you do. John 15 says, as you abide in Christ and in his word, what? You'll bear much fruit. As you do that, abide in Christ and abide in his word, the Father will make sure you're pruned. And in each season, you'll produce all the fruit you're supposed to do. A life of prayer. First Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. You know, our lungs are involuntary, breathing, right? Our heartbeat is involuntary. I don't have to say, heartbeat, heartbeat. Oh, I forgot. <gasps> In the same way as a Christian, praying becomes this involuntary muscle where even we waken up out of the middle of our sleep, we're praying. And boy, in Hebrews eleven six, it says that the earnest, diligent praying of a man of faith, right? We must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then simply walking with the Lord, right? I mean, do you understand that's it? The word, abiding in Christ and the word, and praying, and just persisting in prayer, and then just walking with Christ, and walking with the Lord. He tells us in Psalm 84, 11, that if you walk uprightly, God will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Those who are humble, Micah 6, 8, sort of been a theme verse in this last season we've been. God will show you what's good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk how? Humbly with our God. And to walk in faith. We as believers now walk by faith, not by sight. All the elders of old, everybody throughout the Bible that gained approval before God did it by their faith. That was it. God saw their faith. That they fully believed God was who he said he was from the scripture. That all that the scripture says, God did say it. And that when they hear the Lord say to do something hard, like forgive 
those who have wronged you or love your enemy. And you realize, I don't want to do that, but yet God told me, therefore I must. My commanding officer has given me an order, so I need to dig. And when I don't have the love God tells me I'm supposed to have for this person, I need to go and seek him and find him and have him fill me with a love I've never known before. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, it's interesting with Paul. He just said, I'm going to be bearing fruit. And really, all of us can do that, right? It's just doing it. It's really, you know, denying yourself, taking up a cross and doing it. It's beating your body into subjection. Like the runner, like the boxer who's in routine, ready to go for the big match or the big race. And to come back to that simplicity, which really should be the joy of our life. Reading the Bible is the funnest, most joyful, comforting, healing moments of my life. Praying, oh, thank you, Lord, for that access into your throne room. As I pray, your spirit speaks to me about the word that I read and all that it means that I didn't understand, but your spirit's revealing it to me. And this is happening every waking moment, every even sleeping moment, for he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. It tells us in Psalms 127. And then just to have that true walk with Jesus. So he's filling me with this spirit. And I am the light of the world as Jesus was the light of the world. And so now we just keep walking that walk. And Paul says, either way, it's, I, I, I just see this amazing godly world I'll be in. Either the godly world I'll live in on earth bearing much fruit, or the godly world of being in heaven with Christ, no longer in a sinful body. Which one, he says, I I don't know which one I, I, I can choose. Interesting. Paul has, it appears here that he has finished the race. God says that your game's over. Time to go shower. <laughs> and and it, the game's over. For you, Paul, you've already done everything I've expected you to do all that I've given you to do. You're done. However, if you want to go in overtime, I'll let that happen too. Interesting. I wonder if Enoch got that. Hey, Enoch, you've been walking with me for 300 years. If you want, I'll take you right now. Or you can continue to live on earth I'm out of here, man. I mean, I really don't think many of us would would take the other. You can come on to heaven or keep living in the body. (sighs) Man, don't don't get God. You won't like the answer. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to say, get me out of here. But you you can be there for other people and serve them and love them and help them to grow in Christ and be fruitful. Heaven, (laughs) I think it would be pretty hard not to to be selfish in that moment. But Paul, it seems like he has this choice and and his knee-jerk reaction is heaven, but at the same time, he he realizes the church really needs me. Do Do you know that, guys? You guys that are here and many of you guys that are not here that are watching, we really need you. Well, you've got Kirk and Dennis and Matthias and... Craig and Shane, and you don't need me. We don't need a leg. You just mentioned the arm and the eye and the tongue and the... You're all apart, right? We're all... Do you need all ten toes? Do you need all your arms and all your legs? The the person that seems the least important in the body... The Bible says is the part of the body that we really do need. And if that, all of a sudden, you lose a foot, you realize I never thought that much about my foot until I lost it. I need a foot. I need both of my arms. We're all apart. God's put us in the body as pleases him. And boy, if we came to church and to say we all are ministers here, 
And I'm not going to leave church today till I minister to people. I'm not here for Brian to minister to me. I'm not here for the worship to minister. I'm not here just to fill my tank up. I'm also a minister. Do you realize that? We're all ministers, right? I, 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 everybody calls me Brian, right? I, Reverend, pastor, father. I've been called all kinds of stuff. But I just feel like a Christian. I've never felt like a pastor. I've always just felt like a Christian. And I'm whatever I am, a, a shoulder, or a forearm, or whatever I am, I, I just feel like I'm a Christian that just wants to bless people. And I think the Lord said, hey, I'm going to really bless you to be able to do that, Brian. I never put pastor in front of my name. I, I, I have some, I know some people that say pastor so-and-so at Gmail, you know, I've never done that. <laughs> Most of my friends in ministry feel the same as I do. We, none of us, we just all feel like blessed Christians. That's the way we should all feel. We all have something to contribute. And if we came saying, I'm going to pray. How can I pray for you? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, this is going on. I think, let me pray for you. You know, let me share a verse with you. God's been sharing with me this week. If we did that to each other or shared with what God shared with you from the word today, I, I think you would be blown away. How much, how simple it is. And maybe you're thinking, oh, it's, you know, Craig is such an awesome, refined Christian. Who am I to share a verse with him? Trust me, we never leave the basics. The basics are always the meat because the basics continue to go deeper into our souls and the Holy Spirit reveals it at a deeper and a deeper way until the day we die. Well, in verse 23 now, he goes on to say, I am hard-pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. The old King James says it this way, instead of the word hard-pressed that we have in the new King James, in the old King James it says, I am in a straight betwixt two. <laughs> I'm in a straight betwixt two. Why, why is it translated that? Because the usage of this word is for a ship to be going through a narrow place and it's barely going to fit. You got to stay in the middle of the river. It's shallow on both sides and, and I got to get through or you got to get through uh, whatever's there into the parking of the ship. You got to get right next to the other ship. You can't make a mistake or you'll plow into another ship or plow into and hurt the ship. So it's a tight fit with the ship. It's also used of an animal like a cow. If you're trying to put it into a tight place where it can't move because you're going to give it a shot or brand it. It's the same word. It's a tight fit. Paul says, I feel squeezed. Because I'm, isn't that the way we feel? Us guys that have been living older lives, we're getting squeezed by the world. Isn't it true? I saw that Redondo Beach last night, somebody took over the lease of the harbor, and these people that have been living on their boats there, one guy since 1972, he's 80 years old, many others have been living there for over 20 years, and they say, you can't live here anymore. And these guys are like, I have nowhere else to go. And it wasn't a handful of people. They're getting squeezed out. A new company came in and wants to raise the prices and wants to squeeze them out. I was feeling it. I was feeling it with them. But we've all sort of feel that way. I think of my grandparents. I mean, they literally were born in the early 1900s. My grandpa used to say I was born in 1906. Instead of saying zero, or 1906, <laughs> 06. Maybe a military word, just the way they talked back then. My grandma was born in 1914. Greatest grandparents. 
But they, they grew up in the country of Arkansas and everybody was riding horses until they um, left and actually came to California, had an old beat up truck and uh, ended up living in a park and, and, you know, did agriculture, you know, picking all the cotton and whatever it was and, until they finally worked themselves out of living in the tent in the park. That's where my parents met, was in a park. They were both living in the park and they had tents and uh, they weren't doing drugs or alcoholics or anything. That's <laughs> it's a totally different thing today. It was just sort of the Dust Bowl people. And... Um, and I just remember watching them as a kid. You know, we, in the 60s and 70s, we had our long hair. We parted it down the middle. Our music was, you know, hard rock. And just them observing our attitudes and our bell-bottom pants and our colored shirts and our jewelry and and. And just to try to imagine them listening to this music and watching society change. When they used to not ever really even see planes fly over where they lived. And now to look at men in 60s, 70s. You know what I have found? Everybody feels that way. I'm, I'm feeling like this world, it's, it's a completely different world. And there's really no part of this world I really identify with anymore that I want to be here. And I, and I think, I'm watching stuff on YouTube. Maybe I'll move to New Zealand. No, 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 that wouldn't work. Australia, oh, absolutely not now. Maybe a couple years ago. Canada, oh, no way. Where, where do you go? You almost get more freedom today if you move to China. At least you know what to expect. It's crazy. There's nowhere on this earth I, I identify or feel comfortable with. And I'm only 60, 61. It's crazy. I, I can't imagine Paul going, man, it's just being here in this Roman Empire that just hates Christians and they're feeding them to lions and, and they're ripping them in pieces and and, you know, the, whoever Caesar, you don't know what you're going to get in Rome. I'm hard-pressed. I'm in a tight place because to be on earth, I know. Whatever earth is at this moment, I'll be fruitful in it. But having a desire to depart. That word desire, it's a very strong word. Actually, it's also translated lust or craving. Paul's not saying, oh, I got a desire to heaven. I got a lust. I got a craving. I got, a, I got an addiction to get to heaven. This is what he's saying. And to depart. Another very descriptive word. This word depart is a ship letting loose of the rope and getting offshore out into the sea. Or it's a soldier who's been ordered to move. So they're pulling up the tents. So Paul said, I'm letting loose from shore. I'm, I'm pulling up the tents. We're getting ready to move. It's like an old grandpa taking the grandkids camping. And he pulls out his old tent with the starting to fray and holes in it and smelly. And, and like, Grandpa, we got to get you a new tent. And he's like, nah. This one works just fine. I got to sew it a little bit. Got to replace a couple little things. But this old tent will last the rest of my life. And the time this tent gives out, I'll be ready to leave my tent, my body. And the kids understood. I mean, isn't that what we're doing? I saw the other day a guy give a picture. He thought he was going to get his mom's ashes. And they gave him this giant box. And in it was a little box of ashes, but it had her hip, her knees, her it was It was full of metal. There was, there's 10 pounds of metal in his mom's after they cremated her. 
Boy, I, I can, I can, I can, get, I get it. I got two replaced knees. I got an ankle replacement. You know, you better bring a, bring a couple of people to, to get my ashes. It's going to be heavy, heavy box. But that's what we do. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 8. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall be found, not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. Big amen there? Oh. Mortally, maybe mortality may be swallowed, oh, being grown. So being in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. This mortality may be swallowed up by life. So I just want to say here, some people, wonderful Christians, when they're on their deathbed, they just are at peace and ready to go be with the Lord. And there are other wonderful Christians when they come to that place of death. You know, it's fight or flight, right? Their response is, I'm afraid. And it's just the way our personality is, the way our brain works or doesn't work. Um, but either way, God's spirit is there to help us. Look at verse five. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Verse six of 2 Corinthians five. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord for to walk by, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. So we are well pleased for this transition. The other thing, this word depart is a farmer taking the yoke off an oxen. You know, they had a big giant wooden block they put on an oxen. So when they pulled on the reins, the block would give it power, give it weightiness so that it would actually turn the ox. Because if you just had a rein like a horse, horse's rein and you pulled on the ox, he wouldn't even know it. Even if you were a strong guy, it, it wouldn't be enough to do it. So this is the removing of the ox, the farmer removing the, the big giant yoke off of an ox. In Romans 8, verse 18 to 23, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject in futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it in home, hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly wait for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We see that earthquakes and all the plastic in the ocean, the earth is groaning with the devastation that's happening to us. And our bodies, we are groaning because of the devastation to our bodies. But the redemption is coming. In 1 Corinthians 15, I got a bunch of verses here. I just want to read on this. Wash in the word. Paul told Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of scripture. So here's your public reading of scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. So also in the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Skipping down to verse 47 to 50. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust, as it is the heavenly man, so also those who are of the heavenly. And as we have been born in the image of man of dust, we, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. As he is, so are we in this world. 
Um, Jesus, Jesus said he's the first fruits to raise from the dead. We'll be just like him. So we are looking at ourselves as a body of dust that's falling apart. But inwardly, our inner man is a man of the heavenlies who's spiritual. And he became, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. We are going to be that heavenly man. In there, verse 50 Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. In 1 Corinthians 15, 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. One more verse, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says all of this to be with God. Christ. Oh, he's nailed it, isn't it? I mean, we could say, oh, heaven is going to be wonderful for this reason or for that reason. But there's really one thing. It's to be with our love, to be with our husband, to be with our shepherd, to be with our father, to be with our brother. Jesus is our fellowship. In John 14, one through three, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you, listen, receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. You see, that's what makes heaven heaven. Not that we have a mansion in heaven, but that where he is, we will be also. I love that in Ephesians 2 where it says, we are seated with him on the throne. I love that. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we, we hear the same thing. I'm confident, well pleased to be absent from the body, but really this is the key, to be present with the Lord. We're going to be on our deathbed unless the rapture comes first. And we'll be nodding out. We'll be breathing our last. And finally, it'll happen so quickly that the next thing, somebody's stroking our faith, our face, saying, hey, wake up, wake up. We open our eyes. We're looking at the face of Jesus. And then we're looking around. There's our loved ones. There's Moses and Elijah and King David and in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 to 18, it, it says that we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Isn't that great? We'll never be separated from Christ even for a second. That is eternal life. Comfort one another with these words. I do want to make a quick clarification here. Paul's longing to die and to go to heaven was not an evil desire. It was not a fleshly, selfish desire. It was a godly desire to finally be face-to-face with the Lord. Men today sometimes say, I, I want to die. It's amazing as marijuana is being legalized throughout the earth. We're going to be a much better population on earth if everybody's high on marijuana. Well, all those countries are also, at the same time, legalizing euthanasia. And boy, are they proud about it. They are proud about it. I don't know if you saw that thing in Switzerland, but they made this little capsule, and it looks like you're going to blast into space. You sit down on this thing and they have a plastic thing that comes over the top of it and they fill it with poison and you just fall asleep and die. But they're so proud of themselves for that. They're thinking like this is going to be the Model T car coming out. You know, everybody's going to be wanting these capsules to say, I'm tired of living, you know, strap in there. So basically, in many of the more liberal countries, which we are becoming they have legalized in the last couple of years. You can just go and, and decide to end your life. Not for old people anymore, for anybody. 
I, I'm done. I'm 33 years old and I'm done with this life. Well, go ahead. It's legal to kill yourself. It's happening right now amongst us. This is not what Paul is doing. Paul is not having selfish reasons, but godly reasons. So often men have selfish reasons. They're not caring about God's will. Some people are just tired of the gloom and the doom and the depression and the anxiety. And they're saying, I just can't take it. I'd rather die than be so worried all the time, to be so anxious all the time, to, to have these panic attacks all the time, to not see, a, you know, I'll never be able to buy a house. The market's going up. I'll never, you know, be able to provide for kids. And if I have them, there's just too much inflation. I, there's just gloom and doom and it depresses me and causes anxiety. I just want to die. I can't take it anymore. Some people are just tired of the cruelty of the world. I'm tired. My family has rejected me. My kids won't talk to me. I've been divorced twice. I, you know, I, I'm just so tired of, of all the world being so mean and cruel. And I just want out of here. I'm tired of it. I've lived long enough. People want to die because they're in crisis from suffering. <clears throat> I've got cancer. They tell me I've got two years. I just want to die now. You, you, you realize, guys, that God sometimes gives us a disease or allows a disease to give us time to focus on what's important. To, to be able to, with that, I'm dying a cancer card, to go to relatives that haven't talked to you for years and to say, hey, I've only got a short time to live. I want to get things right. Things you never would have done otherwise. Or for your own soul that's been compromising as a Christian. Nobody knows about it, you. But in a very dark, compromising, duplicity life as a hypocrite, you've been living and, and now you're just focused on being right with the Lord when you stand before him. That can be a gift. But yeah, we may go down suffering for two years in horrible pain before we die or four years. Well, God's got a reason for all things, doesn't he? I, I remember when Corey Timboom called Pastor Chuck. She says, I can't move anymore. I'm basically bedridden. I've traveled all the world telling people about what happened to me in the Holocaust, uh, Corey Timboom, and, and where I went to the darkest, the darkest place you can go on planet Earth, and Jesus was there. His light was there. His power to save was there. And then these Germans that were guards coming to, showing up to my, me speaking and having to wrestle with that bitterness and to come to the place to say, yes, I forgive you. But now I can't do any of that. So why? My, I'm just totally depressed. My life seems worthless. And, and Chuck told her, God now has calling you over these decades of you preaching the gospel and sharing Jesus is wanting you now to just lay here and soak every seed you planted in prayer. Just sit there and let the Lord bring faces to you from 30 years ago to last week and just pray, pray your way out, soaking all of those seeds with water, <laughs> the water of prayer that if they haven't germinated, they would germinate. Gave her great hope, and that's exactly what she did. God's got a reason, and, and yes, in some difficulties, we have to have a greater faith than we normally do. Paul's desire to depart was nothing in common with these selfish, earthly attitudes. He wanted to depart to be with the Lord. He wanted to depart when it was God's will. He said that, you know, if I got a choice, I still fall back. I want God's will. Paul wanted God's timing. God makes all things beautiful in his timing. For Paul, going to heaven would be a victorious thing. No more body of sin and a temptation and falling and stumbling and needing forgiveness, being a brand new body in heaven being with all the loved ones that have died in the Lord that I want to be with so badly. 
I want to go to heaven to be with Christ and closer in a better way. Well, in verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is needful for you. So Paul says, if God's giving me the choice, as much as I don't want to make that choice, I will make the choice to stay. Always. Why? Paul's going to tell us in just a few verses in chapter 2. Have this mind in you that was in Christ. What was that mind, he tells the Philippians 2. To see everybody's interest is more important than your interest. My interest? Go to heaven. Your interest is to see you continue to prosper and grow in the Lord. I'll choose your interest over mine. To see everybody is better than yourself. This is what Paul said I'm going to do. And in verse 25 and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress of your joy. So Paul doesn't know the future for certain, even though he's a great apostle and prophesied and wrote the scripture. He doesn't know exactly. He's just saying, it seems to me that the Lord's going to have me stay longer. And that's what's going to happen. So I'm pretty certain that I'm going to continue on. And what's going to happen with me continue on and being coming back to Philippi? You guys are going to progress, and you're going to have a greater joy in your faith. Again, we're all ministers. If we came to church, or if we came on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, whatever time, that we, we say, I'm coming, and I'm going to leave church that people are deeper in the Lord. I'm going to share a verse God's been sharing with me, so they can say, wow, I've never seen that. The Lord spoke to me so greatly in that, and that... I want to pray for them. Oh, man, God's answering my prayers because I pray according to his will. He hears me and I have the very thing I ask. Lord, I, I want to pray because prayer happens. It works. Man, Paul says, I know. I come back to you. It, it's going to be just a powerful time seeing you guys make leaps and bounds in your growth in the Lord and just the joy of trusting in Christ and walking with Christ. And we finish up here in verse 26, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. <laughs> so Paul says, I, I believe the Lord not only is going to get me out of prison, but I'm going to actually come and spend some time with you Philippians. Indeed, he did. This to let you guys know, Paul was released from prison at this time, and he had many months to go preach, you can read it at the very last of the book of Acts. He went out and he preached the gospel without any hindrance. It's like God got every demon out of the way, every magistrate out of the way, and he would just freely could go anywhere and preach. He did go back to the Philippian church, but then later he was imprisoned again, and then he was put to death in Rome. I wanted to just end with two rather lengthy passages, and we'll end here today, but I so want to Get your heart set right that you say, whether I have another day or another 10 days. You know, I, every year at New Year's, and I did this this year as well, I said, I know no matter how big the group here is, there's some of us alive right here, right now, that will not be alive for next New Year's. And that's happened again, right? Our brother Bruce Naomi's not here. So need to pray for her to make it on Sunday mornings. But she uh, just shocked. Bruce just collapsed, ended up having a brain aneurysm, died. And there's been many others of our family members. Uh, um, Sheena was telling me earlier, man, so many losses this year. With her twin brother passing on and so many close friends that she could talk to and get support, and there's just nobody to call. <laughs> People I used to call are dead. That's a real thing, isn't it? I, I call my mom, and she has that same complaint. There's nobody to call. <laughs> and the younger people I call, like my kids, they're all busy. And they don't talk to me very long. It's a, it's a hard place to be, isn't it? Well, I want to encourage you in Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16. These all died in faith, the hall of faith, not 
having received the promises. You know, the men of God, you know something they had in common? God gave them this promise that they wouldn't live long enough to see it. Abraham, your kids are going to be as many as the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. Do you know how many Abraham kids Abraham had of Isaac when he died? Isaac. <laughs> Moses, you're going to take the people into the promised land and they're going to eat of the milk and honey and they're going to prosper us and be victorious. And did Moses ever get to go in and see any of that? No, I can keep going right down the line. But they notice what they did. They lived on earth and it was sort of a bummer. They never got to see the great things God said he was going to do. But having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those who say such things declare plainly that they seek another homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country in which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. There was compromise in them. If there was a, 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 a divided heart, do I trust in God and go for his plan? And, or do I go back and, and live in the country and, and have the job that I know is secure? But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Listen to this final statement. Therefore, God is not to be ashamed to be called their God. For he has promised them a city for them. Oh, you're going to love this next passage. Revelation, 19, or Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 17. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, tongues. If you're racist at all, you're going to hate heaven. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Wow. All these multiple people from all over the earth of all different nationalities and tongues, skin colors, etc. Just like we see this melting pot on planet earth, so in heaven. And they're all standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes. Wow with palm branches in their hands. Woo, we're, we're celebrating victory. And we're crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And the angel stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell, their, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. What did they say? Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying, well, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Uh, we're going to be raptured before the tribulation, but even those believers in. And here's the reason I wanted to read this, the second part of verse 14. They've been washed their robes and made them white. How? in the blood of the Lamb. They have white robes of righteousness because they've been washed in the blood. Been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Going on, verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in the temple. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. There it is. And they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. Oh, isn't that great? And lead them to the living water, to the fountains of living waters. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Our Lord will be upon the throne We've all been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus, our shepherd, will walk with him like sheep following the shepherd down to the rivers of living water and drink from them. And Christ will be in our midst forever and ever. 
not sure which I'm going to choose. Oh, boy, I know which one I want to choose. Get out of here. Get off this planet and go be with the Lord in heaven. But as long as I'm here, I know it's good for all of you. We should all be able to say that. As long as I'm alive on this earth, it's good for you because I'm going to be bearing fruit towards you. You're going to progress and you're going to have a greater joy in your faith because of me and me doing my ministry. Paul is not saying that because he's an apostle. He's saying that as just a fellow Christian. The Holy Spirit is saying all of us should be able to say that as well. Lord, thank you for your word today. Let it go deeper into our hearts and our minds. Hmm. More, Lord. We want more. We want more, Lord. Like Jabez prayed, Lord, just enlarge in our territory. Let us be more fruitful, Lord. Let us, our sphere of influence, be more people, Lord. Put your hand upon us, O oh God. Bless us indeed. And let us not cause pain, but quite the opposite. Let us be fruitful. If there's any here today or online that have heard this word that need to give their life to the Lord or maybe just rededicate. You've been living a divided heart. You're not the fruitful person you should be. Right now, just repent. God, forgive me. Jesus, I come. Through your blood, I am white as snow. I'm righteousness of Christ. And I want to now live righteously to be fruitful for others to be refreshed by the fruit that I bear, others to be refreshed in the light and to be in the salt of the earth and serving and not thinking about my interests anymore, but thinking about the interest of others. Here I am, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me yours. You're rich to all who call upon your name. For that, we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.